Amen. I don't need to preach after that. I mean, they just said the psalm, right? Amen. Hey, uh, welcome to Centennial Church. My name is Ross. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you, Ben, for uh, blessing us with that uh, song, Psalm 98. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 98. We're going to jump right in. I want to welcome back our team that has been in New York the last week working at the House of House on Beekman Street. So glad uh, to see you guys here, wide awake, fresh, not tired at all. Um, if you snooze here in a second, I'll... Uh, have somebody throw something at you, okay? I hope to hear from them uh, next week. Most of us have been praying for them uh, as they worked in the Bronx and uh, not easy areas, not uh, places like North Dallas, uh, places of different need than we have here. But uh, thank you guys for serving the Lord and uh, look forward to hearing your report next week, okay? Psalm 98, go ahead and turn there, if you will, as we start this new series today. And uh, we'll set it up and uh, explain here as we go along. Psalm 98, I want to read the first three verses, okay? First three verses, and then we'll chat a little bit. Psalm 98, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. We pray with me? Father God, thank you so much um, for loving us. Thank you, God, for giving us salvation that we can sing about, that we can praise you for no matter what is going on around us, no matter what has gone on this last week, no matter how tired we are this morning. No matter what worries we bring with us this morning, that we can be people of joy, people of praise to you because of your work, because of your secure salvation that you have brought to us through Jesus. God, would you please focus our hearts, would you please focus our lives on that truth, and may we be people of praise. It's in our Savior's name we pray, amen. Look with me there at verse 1 at the command. Verse 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. That's the command. And for those of us that don't sing as well as others, verses 4 and 6, he gives that line about make a joyful noise to the Lord for those of us that can't sing. I got some criticism last week because I, I tried to sing and I was uh, corrected afterwards. Don't ever do that again. <clears throat> Sing to the Lord a new song, or if you can't sing, at least make a joyful noise. But that is the command of this psalm, and a command of many psalms, in fact. Sing to the Lord. Praise God for who he is and for what he has done. I wonder this morning, as you sit here today, as you think about the Christian faith, as you think about Christianity, how do you primarily think about Christianity or about a walk with Jesus? What's the primary metaphor that comes to your mind or the, the, the primary um, word picture that comes to your mind as you think about Christianity? Is it, is it more of kind of just a moral code? Hey, if you're a Christian, these are kind of the do's and don'ts. Uh, Christianity is, is primarily a moral code 
for you. Maybe you think of Christianity primarily as a community. Christianity is a, is a, is a group of people that I'm walking through life with, that we do life together, and it's primarily a communal picture that comes to your mind. Maybe for many of you here, when you think about Christianity, you think about this is primarily a doctrinal, a theological position. These are uh, truth propositions. If you're a Christian, you believe these certain things. You, you believe this way. And so for you, Christianity is primarily uh, doctrinal in nature. Maybe you think uh, Christianity is just another religion or just another philosophy. What primarily do you picture or do you think of Christianity as? All those things I would say this morning are true. Christianity does, has a, does have a moral framework to it. Christianity does have doctrinal proposition, truth claims that Christians adhere to. Christianity is a philosophy of sorts. It is a community of people living distinctly. But how about this metaphor? How about this word picture this morning that Christianity is a song? Christianity is a song. It's a, it's a welling up. It's a praise of exuberance coming from our soul and being sung out through people that have been impacted by God and his work in our lives and in the world. Christianity is a song. That's one way of thinking about the Christian faith. And we see that all throughout Scripture. In fact, for the last many, many weeks, we've been studying through the book of Romans, and we kind of see Paul break out into song as he gets to the end of Romans chapter 11. If you want to flip back with me, can't help but go back to Romans this morning. But if you flip back with me to Romans, the Romans chapters 1 through 11 are, are thick of doctrine, of proposition, of truth claims that Christians believe. But as, as Paul begins to wrap up chapter 11, which we'll do in months to come, at the end of chapter 11, he basically kind of breaks into song. He kind of, he overflows with joy as to what he's been thinking about what God has revealed. And if you look in chapter 11, beginning in verse 33, uh, this is not on the screen, but look along with me. Verse 33, he says, he's been talking about Israel and how God will continue his work among the Jewish people. And at the end of chapter 11, verse 33, he just kind of breaks out in this praise. It just overflows from him. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He's been writing all this great truth, but he can't help but contain the joy that he feels and the song that comes out of him as he thinks about, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was living in darkness, and now God has opened my eyes, and I'm living in light. And he ends that section with this exuberant praise. Some of you may remember from Psalm 40, or even if you heard it from the U2 song, Psalm 40. What has God done? The psalmist in Psalm 40 says, You picked me up out of the miry clay, and you set my feet upon a rock. And then he says in Psalm 40, he says, And you put a new song in my heart. 
You put a new song in my heart. I have a new song to sing. For many of us in this room, I would say most of us in the room, music is a powerful thing. Some of you are musicians. The, the power of music in our, our life is, is amazing. And the psalmist says, you've put a new song in my heart. I've got a new reason for living. I've got a new song of praise. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, said this about music. He said, music is a fair and lovely gift of God. Next, after theology, I give the music the highest place and the greatest honor. I would not exchange what little I know of music for something great. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as the mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart. Music is powerful. And all throughout the scripture, in fact, we're told to worship God through music. We're commanded here to sing. And we've been looking at all this great truth, all this wonderful doctrine in Romans, and I thought a great balance to that, all that doctrine that we were learning is to spend six weeks looking at these songs these biblical songs we have in the Old Testament that remind us that it's not just, Christianity is not just something on our head, things that we believe, but it's a song that wells up inside of us in, in praise to what God has done. If it stays in our head, we haven't yet grasped it. Christianity is a song. And all throughout Scripture, we, we see this being acted out in the people of God. In fact, some of you may remember in Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, as God delivered his people from Egypt, as they crossed the Red Sea, the first thing they did, one of the first things they did as they crossed the Red Sea, Exodus 15, is they sang. They sang this chorus of, of praise as God had delivered them, saved them from they're enemies. Exodus 15 is the first worship song we have in Scripture. All throughout the Old Testament and the tabernacle and, and as they built the temple, God had his people. He had priests, Levites, and some of those Levites, their main job was to be part of the choir and to sing the songs of God to remind God's people of what he had done. They reminded God's people through song. Later in our service, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. When we first uh, find Jesus celebrating that Passover meal, what becomes the Lord's Supper, Mark tells us in his gospel, Mark chapter 14, that they participated in the Lord's Supper, and before they went out, they sang a hymn. As they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they then sang. They received this meal, and they praised God through music. Acts chapter 16, some of you may remember that in Acts chapter 16, Paul is in prison in Philippi, and he's in prison with Silas, and Acts 16.25 says that as Paul and Silas are in prison, still chained at this point, the Bible says that they were praying and singing to God. The jailers, of course, overheard them. They were praying and singing. In Revelation chapter 4 and 5, as we get to the end of the story and we get this uh, foretaste, we get this preview of heaven and the throne room of God. What do we witness there? We witness, we witness angels and saints singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. So have I made my case? 
the Bible instructs us to sing. It's not just, this is not just something that pastors and worship leaders decide, hey, you know what, before we read the word of God, it might be good if we kind of warm people up with a song. That's, that's not the case. For thousands of years, God's people have been instructed and reminded and encouraged to sing. But you think about this in other contexts, how weird is it? How odd is it that we come together and we sing? Where else do we do this? I was thinking about it this week. Well, you know, obviously, uh, when we go to a ball game, you have the national anthem. And what does that national anthem do to the people, for the people who are there gathered for that game? It says, wait, time out, hold on. Before we split up into, you know, red and blue, or before we split up into home and visitor, we're going to come together and we're going to be reminded that we can play this game because of the freedom we have. And so we sing this song in unity together. But how, how weird would it be if you went to work tomorrow morning and you gathered in the break room about eight o'clock or whenever you get there and the boss comes in and says, hey guys, why don't we sing a song before we start the day? Uh, weird. I was thinking about in my life, weird times of singing. And, and some of you know this, uh, Bill and I were in the same fraternity a long time ago. But as a pledge in a fraternity, one of the first things they make you do that first semester is put on your coat and tie and go around and serenade the sororities. That means sing. And so here I am as a 19-year-old kid in my coat and tie, and they wheel all 26 of us down to the Theta house, and these girls are pretty. You know, I mean, these are, these are the girls you want to date, and we have to stroll up there and ring the doorbell and just start singing these goofy songs. This is so embarrassing. We're tough fraternity guys. Why are we doing this? But you know, those, those songs united us as a pledge class. They united us as a fraternity. And it's to this day, when we go to weddings, we have a, a wedding uh, for one of those guys. It's those songs that we learned as 18-year-olds knocking on the Theta's door that we sing at weddings. Some of you have experienced this because any wedding you go to around here, all the Aggies show up and they've got to sing a song together, right? Here they are now, whooping. But it's, it's songs that unite us. It's songs that set us apart. It, it's songs that, that bring unity to us. And that's the powerful language, the power of songs as, as songs are wedded to God's word. And we have some of those songs that Christians have been singing for centuries in the book of Psalms, these poems, these songs, these songs that were sung by the early church, these songs that were sung in the temple. Singing and singing to one another was not a preacher or worship leader's idea. It was God's idea for us to come together and sing to one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Ephesians 5, 18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then what? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. One of the effects of Holy Spirit is to make us want to sing and to praise the God who indwells us, the God that has saved us. 
And notice the different types of songs there. Psalms, I take that to mean the psalms that we have in our Old Testament. Hymns, that's a different type of music. I take that to mean the hymns that the early church composed, and some of them were even inscripturated. If you read Philippians chapter 2, that's a hymn. That's an early church hymn that they sang that became a part of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Colossians chapter 1 is also thought to be an early church hymn. So psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and I take spiritual songs to mean kind of the contemporary songs that you come up with. Notice Psalm 98, the first command of verse 1 there is to sing a new song. Not just an old song, but to sing a new song. God is doing something new. God is doing something fresh. Even though the songs remind us of what God has done in history, God, God, what, how God has saved us, we're instructed also to sing a new song. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Let's turn to that one real fast. Same idea. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, in the next phrase, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, I've often say up here, I hope you hear me say, that we want to be a people of the book. We want to be people of the word of Christ. We want to be a Bible-teaching church. You know what I also hope that we become more and more? A singing church. That when we come together, we're not just waiting for the word of God, but we're singing the word of God to one another. And notice there that it's admonishing one another. It's not that we're just listening to a performance of music, but that we're coming together and we're singing one to another. We're singing the scripture to one another. John Calvin said that the Psalms, the book of Psalms, is like an anatomy of the soul. It shows us the anatomy of the soul because as we open up the book of Psalms, it gives words to all different seasons and feelings of our soul. There's words that we can find that express what we're going through right now, whether it's trial or pain, or desertion, or worry, the Psalms open up the anatomy of the soul. They are so honest. And we'll look at some of that honesty in the weeks to come. It's often said that the older you get, the more you appreciate the Psalms. Because you've been through life. You've been hurt. You feel distance from God. You feel betrayed. And the Psalms give words to life's experience. You know, I know that's in me, but I couldn't say it, so the Psalm says it for me. The anatomy of the soul. As we look through the Psalms over these next six weeks, you're going to see some real honesty before God. Why, O oh Lord? How long? O oh Lord, as the psalmist just bears his soul and allows us to bear our soul before God with the words that were penned thousands of years ago. It's a command. Sing to the Lord and sing 
to one another. When we gather together, you come, in part, to sing to one another. So the question is, why do we sing? What do we sing about? And as we, we look uh, at the reason to sing in verses 1 through 3, uh, look with me again in those first three verses. What's the, what's the reason to sing? Why is he saying to sing this new song? And as you look through it, look at the uh, pronouns here. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. As you look at these first three verses, what is he praising God for? What, what, what reason does he have to sing? And the answer is he has one reason to sing. And that one reason is God himself. There's a lot of psalms. There's many psalms where we kind of have some background as to what's happening. They might even have a heading at the top. This is a psalm of David as he was running for his life. He was fleeing Saul or whoever. Some, there's some, some psalms that we know the historical circumstances of that psalm. This psalm, Psalm 98, is a circumstance-less psalm. It doesn't take into account the, the, the author's situation. It doesn't take into account the situation that you're in as you walk in here this morning or that I'm in, that I'm in as I stand before you and open God's word. It's circumstance-less. The point, no matter what you walked in here with this morning, no matter what you're thinking about and kind of keeps taking your attention as you sit here this morning, you have a reason to praise. And that one reason is God himself. No matter the pain you feel right now, the loss you feel right now, the worry that you have, everybody in this room has cause for praise and that cause for praise is God himself, that he has worked salvation. Did you see how uh, these first three verses are echoing what we heard in Romans? That salvation is all of God. That's the theme of Romans. Hey, you are deserving of sin and God has worked salvation for you. The psalmist here is saying the same thing. Again, it's what he has done. It's his right hand. It's his holy arm. You are saved God has delivered you not because of any effort of your own or any merit of your own. It's completely him. The first three verses here, it's all about what God has done to save us. And therefore, we have reason to praise. That salvation is all his doing. It's all about him. I told you a few weeks ago, this is birthday season in our house. So we have five birthdays from May through August, right? So yesterday we celebrated another birthday of someone in our house who, who turned 40. Now pray for her. She's really, she's dealing with that. You know, it's hard. Um, what do kids do when there's a birthday party that's not theirs? They want to get in there and in the middle of it and make it about them, don't they? Hey, you know what, what why don't we do this? Where's my present? And what do you constantly have to tell kids on someone's birthday, uh, when they do that, you have, to, you have to look them in the eye and say, son, it's not about you. Today 
It's about mom and what mom wants to do. It's not about you. Psalm 98, one through three is telling us it's not about you. You praise God because of him and him alone. It's not about you. Life can be wheels off right now, and for many of you it is. I know some of the things that you're dealing with. I know the pain that you're dealing with. Life can be wheels off, and yet there is still this time and this place to say thank you, God, for being you. This is a, king, a kingly psalm. It says God is the king. He's come to deliver and come to save. He's the rightful king of our lives. And the, the great news that salvation is all of him is the great news that salvation is all of him. And because I didn't merit even a tiny bit of it, he gets all the praise for it. So again, application. You can be hurting. You can be really struggling. You can be really fearful this morning. You can be really down. You can be really discouraged. And the good news is the king of the earth has saved you and is coming again to rescue you. Life can be in the pit right now. And you can walk out of here this morning at 1145, get in your car and get hit by a truck and die instantly. And guess what? You win. Because God won. Because God's holy right arm has saved us. And it may not feel like salvation right now, but this psalm promises that he is the king. He is the sovereign ruler. He is the king to come and to come again. And he's working all things out. So you can lose in this life and win because God is good and gracious. It's all about him. And no matter what is happening right now, there's a reason to praise. And that reason is God. Verses 4 through 9. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Everything created by God was created by God and for God. The hills, the seas, you and me, is to join this chorus of praise, of, of giving God honor, of giving God praise, of giving God glory, and therefore, not me glory. He's the only one that deserves your life. He's the only one that deserves a song of praise. God himself. How, what does that look like? How do we praise him? What does that look like? Two suggestions. We praise, we praise him through speech and we praise him through song. We, 
praise him through speech and we praise him through song. By speech, what I mean by that is we simply give God the credit verbally. We just say a word uh, when God is doing something in our lives, when he helps us through a struggle, when he blesses us uh, with prosperity, we, we speak it. Say, God's been good to me. Now, we have to be careful about this, okay? We have to be careful about this because Jesus goes on to say, don't uh, do your acts of righteousness before people to, to be seen by them, right? So there's a way of, of, of giving God glory that's really uh, kind of takes your reward. It kind of uh, is, is not humble, right? I'm not saying that every time a football player scores a touchdown, he should drop to a knee and, and, and point out to God and say, thank you, Jesus, okay? That's not what I'm suggesting. But there's a way to give God honor, a way to give God glory that uh, if you think it through, is humble and does acknowledge your dependence Upon God. So you may have an opportunity this week. You may have an opportunity with a neighbor or someone at work where, where you can say, man, I, I really went through this difficult time with my kids, but God empowered me and surrounded me with counselors to be able to get through that difficult situation. Man, I just lost a dear family member but God has sustained me in the grief because of the hope that he's given me. And you've just ascribed glory. You've just given God praise through just a simple sentence or two that says, everything I have, everything that I am, I owe to God. God may give you an opportunity just through a line, just through a short conversation this week, to give God praise. Again, I'm not saying that you got to be that obnoxious person that is just always, you know, every, every blessing, every parking spot is, you know, thank you, Jesus. But there's a way to live your life before other people in a way that gives God the glory. Okay? Not only can we praise God through speech, we can also literally praise God through song, through song. As I said before, I want us to be a singing church. I want you to be ready on Sunday morning when you come to worship to sing. Yeah, to, to greet folks in the lobby and to give a hug to people that you may haven't seen for a few days and to hear the word of God and to receive communion. But I also want you to prepare your heart to sing and to sing to one another for us to be a singing church. One of the ways practically we want to help you do that through this series is that we have a Spotify playlist of the psalms that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at six psalms. And if you go to our website, okay, Centennial Church backslash psalms, there's a Spotify playlist there. And it has Shane and Shane, two worship leaders, modern worship leaders, have taken the psalms that we're going to look at, okay, the words, and they have put them to music. So the feature that our worship team did just before the message here, that's their rendition, Shane and Shane's rendition of Psalm 98. Next week, we're going to look at Psalm 63. Here's what I'd love for you to do this week. I'd love you to get that playlist or download the iTunes album from Shane and Shane. It's called Psalms Live. And I'd love for you to be listening 
to these psalms, put to music. It's the word of God wedded with powerful modern music. And if the word of God wedded with music doesn't move your soul, I don't know what will. So I encourage you to prepare your heart for worship, to become a singing people, to get this playlist, to download those songs. Some of you, I see you're doing it right now. <laughs> to, download, to download those songs so you can listen to them in the car and you can prepare your heart and you can sing together as we gather here. We have another, if you go on our church app, we already have uh, on our church app, we already have a playlist there of the songs that we kind of rotate through regularly. It'd be a great exercise for you to play that throughout the week to prepare your heart to sing those songs in unison and together with one another to one another as we gather in worship. This is particularly powerful too for our kids. You know, I, I don't know, um, you may think that preacher's kids just like to gather at the kitchen table and talk about the Bible with their dad and mom all the time. That's not really the way uh, it works. Um, sorry to burst your, you know, concept there. Sometimes there is deep resistance in my home to opening the Bible or talking about spiritual things. Not all the time, okay? There are some windows. There are some golden windows. You want to know what one of the most powerful things we can do as parents uh, to get the Word of God into the little hearts of our little ones? Music. And you don't have to gather them around the living room or the kitchen table or, or force it on them at bedtime. But you control what's on the car radio, right? So they're hearing it. It's getting in their hearts and, and music along with God's word. As I said before, what a powerful, powerful ingredient to be putting in our kids' hearts. My parents discipled me as a little kid on Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith. Yeah, it's cheesy. I'm sure my kids will look back on the music that I give them and think, cheesy. But you know what? It got in my heart. I forgot to bring the book up here this morning, but last week I uh, talked a lot about this New City Catechism that we are adopting as a teaching tool uh, within our church and hopefully in your homes. I encourage everybody to download it. That's a free app, okay? We also have the books uh, out on the Connection Center. The free app, okay, it's got 52 questions and answers. The free app also has a song for every question and answer. And let me tell you something, they're cheesy. They are. That's what I tried to sing last week and got my hand slapped for it. Um, but in addition to giving your kids the question and answer, you can go on this app and you can play the song in your car and the kids are going to learn these truths. They're going to learn this core theology and doctrine that, that will begin to frame the way they think about things. And not only the incredible sponges that they are to, to, to remember these things that I have to work at, you know, a hundred times harder than they do, but put to music, it gets in their hearts and minds, and God's word does its work. 
How do we praise God? We praise, there's a variety. There's, there's numerous ways that we praise God. But we can praise God through speech, through giving him just a verbal shout out, if you will, in conversation, in natural conversation. And we can also praise him through song. I want us to be a singing people. And two helps on that, the playlist for this series and the New City Catechism, the songs that go with those questions. Sing to the Lord a new song. Music is powerful, and music wedded with the Word of God can help transform our lives. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that regardless of what we came in here with this morning, regardless of the trials and the struggles that we have, that we have a reason to sing this morning. And that reason has nothing to do with us and nothing to do with what we face this week, but it has everything to do with you and your son and the salvation that you have secured for us through his death and resurrection. Holy Spirit, would you make us transform? Would you make us singing people? Transform us by the word of God, even through song. And may we, and as we gather together, Holy Spirit, would you work through us, through the word, through our times of song together. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.